Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we bring you another sweet deal, a little chocolate here and there, and some ice cream to combat this heat. Yeah, just to, just to finish up the day, just exactly what you need. Just, just a few more calories. Now, our first up is, I mean, talk about sweeping the fancy food show um, in New York this summer. This is a company that we've interviewed before, but they just took six top Sophies. Uh, and it's the, uh, mo- it's the most ever by the a most ever by a single, single company. Supplier. And uh, yeah, why, why don't we just why don't we just let Tom, Tom Rogan so he can explain how they did that. Listeners, remember this name: um, Goodnow Farms Chocolate, and you won't not hear it for a very long time. They're sweeping the chocolate industry awards, and we're talking to Tom Rogan, um, founded co-founder. Tom, you could say. Yes, my wife Monica and I are the uh, the co-founders. And how long have you been making chocolate? We've been making chocolate for, it's been over 10 years now. We started making it as a hobby in our kitchen when we were living in Los Angeles, but we started selling as Good Now Farms chocolate in late 2016. Okay, and you you were located where? We're in Sudbury, Massachusetts, which is about uh, 20 minutes west of Boston. Right. Now, um, you came to our attention yet again for sweeping the special awards, the Sophies, at the um, the Specialty Food Associations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the what does that stand for again, Sophie? Sophie. So it's um, yes, yeah, Specialty Outstanding Food Innovation Award. Right. I the name always makes me stop. But, <laughs> yeah. but anyhow, you were and you got, and you got how many of them, Tom? So we were lucky enough to win six Sophies in a single year, which uh, is that unusual. <laughs> it's a little unusual. It was more than any other company has won in the forty-seven or so year history of the Sophies. Yeah, and, and now mind you, they're they're in different categories. They're different awards. Um, they do gold, silver, bronze, and an outstanding new product. Um, right. But but you you really swept the uh, dark chocolate categories. And, right. Yeah, and 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 then you, uh, what was the one that was infused with the uh, rye whiskey? That was a different category. That was just what candy. That was the the chocolate candy category. So that bar won silver for chocolate candy and best new product. And then you did the hot beverage one as well. Yeah, our Almendra Blanca hot cocoa won silver for best hot beverage. Yes. <laughs> well, that's just a few a few armfuls of. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really it was really exciting. I mean, the Sophies. It's it's a pretty amazing honor. Um, you know, the Sophies only give out one award um, per category. So, you know, there's only one gold, mm-hmm. one silver, one bronze, and dark chocolate. So the yeah. fact that we, we swept the category was pretty uh, was pretty incredible. And no, to give us the number of how many entries there are, that's always impressive. Yes. I, you know, they say there are, there are many, many, many entries every year. So you know, Thousands. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of great makers out there. We're just, you know, it's, it's nice to be, to be recognized. You know, you put a lot of time, effort, thought, 
passion into making something, and it's nice to have that kind of recognition. Now, are they talking about banning you from further competition? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll still be submitting. <laughs> so, um, I mean, what what changed? We interviewed you a year ago. What new developments happened in that year? So, I mean, a lot of things. You know, we uh, we were only open for about selling chocolate is good now farms for a little over a year when we first spoke um so the good thing is we've just been recognized by a lot more people we're in a lot more stores um we have added some new bars um really exciting stuff you know gone to some new origins we have opened up our own retail space in the boston public market so oh really are you in that market i know that market yeah it's a great spot a lot of foot traffic yeah, a lot of great local vendors, all local vendors from throughout New England. And the really great thing is we're able to share the story of chocolate with people. So when you're on the store shelves, it's just somebody picking up your bar, and occasionally there'll be some literature or we might do a demo. But at our store, we're able to actually educate people about what chocolate is and where it comes from. And you know, people are really interested in learning more about this because for a lot of people, they've never even – come across craft chocolate or even knew that chocolate came from a fruit. So that kind of information is really interesting to a lot of people and we're able to share that with them to the extent they want to, you know, they want to learn about it um, at the market. You know, it's not a very simple thing. There's a lot of information that you need to know about chocolate. Yeah, and that's the thing is people never thought of it, I think, as a, as a true food product before. It was just candy. And I think the the assumption was it's just you know it's made in a factory and you know it's a bunch of sugar and, and stuff and the idea this is an actual food that is grown and harvested and that it's very similar in terms of flavor to wine grapes or coffee beans is a very new and surprising thing to people but luckily one that because of the growth of the craft chocolate industry. Um, a lot more people are becoming aware of. What is it that really makes chocolate so incredibly special? I mean, is it, is it sort of like a drug? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I mean, people really do get addicted, don't they? Yeah, they they they, they do. We we have a, a chocolatier friend here in Pittsburgh, and she has customers who come in every every week for a new bar. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's you know, there's chocolate has a lot going for it that makes it special. You know, there's the mouthfeel. I mean, just that you've got yes. this product that that is solid at room temperature, and then all you've got to do is stick it in your mouth, and it's going to slowly melt and release all these incredible flavors. And that's, and that's a wonderful experience just right there. I love that feel. Yes. And then, of course, there's the flavors of it, um, which a lot of people really don't know the true flavor of chocolate. I, I usually tell people, you know, if you if you have only eaten mass market chocolate in your life, then you probably like vanilla, not chocolate. <laughs> because that's the ingredient in the vast majority of, of mass market chocolate bars that, that people relate to. And so, you know, you, you, it seems counterintuitive that people who like chocolate actually like vanilla, but though that's the flavor. So, you know, the idea that you've got these incredible flavors, um, I think, is enticing to people. And just also, you know, there are psychoactive elements to, to chocolate. I, fig- yeah, I, figured there, I figured there must be something yeah, in there. So tell us about there's a, that. There's a drug in there somewhere. Well, right? you know, I mean, <laughs> think how far 
I mean, it's a really long history of chocolate. It was always like with the Aztecs reserved for um, the royalty. And, and it was viewed as an aphrodisiac and it was uh, viewed as a, a, an edge in battle to, uh, for winning. And tell us what the real psycho, whatever you call them, are in chocolate. Right. So, so yeah, just to, and <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff there. So, yes, with the Aztecs, not that it was reserved for royalty, but it was something that would be drunk on special occasions. Um, but there were, it was, it was very prevalent throughout Aztec society. It was used as currency. And, um, there was a whole, um, um, uh, sort of ritual that surrounded it. Um, and that was actually how Europeans first discovered it. Yeah, I was just going to say in Europe, it had started out being an elite uh, substance as but well. The, but the, Spaniard, the Spaniards snaked it off of the Aztecs, right? Yeah, Cortez. When, Cortez found it when he first came across it, when he saw it being served in, in Montezuma's court. And Montezuma mm-hmm. would drink you know, multiple cups of this every day. And so, But what really attracted Cortez to it was the idea that it could be used as currency. So he actually um, planted, started planting cacao trees. He's like, well, if I can, if I can plant trees to grow money, let's, <laughs> let's do that. So that was how it started. But uh, and actually, Columbus was the first European to come across cacao beans. He just it was by accident. He didn't realize what he had come across. But but we digress. So the yeah. the, the psychoactive component. So obviously, cacao has um, has caffeine. It has less than a lot of people assume. So it's not a big source of caffeine, um, but the theobromine that's in theobromine that's in um, cacao is the substance. You know, people say that oh, that's what makes you. It gives you the feeling that you're being that you're in love. You know, it re- releases endorphins in the brain. It gives you a feeling of well-being. So that is something that definitely has an effect on people. And there's also other. There have been studies that have been done. And, and we don't really talk about this too much because, you know, it, you can take medical studies with a grain of salt. Yeah, but, I know. Um, yeah. there, are, there are studies that show that, um, you know, memory is improved within even an hour of eating chocolate, um, that it's good for cardiovascular health. So it definitely is having, you know, some effects on, on the body, and it seems those effects are, are positive ones. Yeah, well, you know, this friend of mine whose husband had a stroke, and she was stuck with a whole bunch of extra um, uh, duties. Uh, I said, how are you keeping your sanity? She said, chocolate. <laughs> yep, it's a good way to do it. <laughs> now, now, you, you special, uh, specialize in single-origin chocolates. Why don't you explain that? Okay. So, yeah, so single-origin chocolate is, is really something that is relatively new. Um, people think this is going back to some pure way that chocolate used to be made, but it really didn't exist before 10, 15 years ago at most. Because um, chocolate really went from from being what was mainly uh, something that you, you drank or you cooked with to being a mass market product. That happened fairly quickly. So this is a very new concept, and the idea simply grew out of the fact that you've got all these different genetics of cacao beans throughout the world, and mainly, in, uh, I shouldn't say mainly, but you know, a lot of them in, in Central America, South America, which is the genetic birthplace of cacao. There's a lot of diversity down there. So you've got all these different flavors in the cacao beans. So if you use one particular type of beans to make your bar, 
that bar is going to reflect those individual flavors. That's what I was saying earlier. It's like wine grapes or like coffee beans. So we do just that. We go down to a place, we look for fine flavor beans, and there's a number of different steps that have to happen between finding beans and using them for chocolate. Now how do but, you taste uh, them? If they're, I mean, they have to be roasted and everything, right? Well, no, they don't. I mean, you get different flavors throughout the process. So when we go down there, there's a, a whole process you can kind of go through to get a sense of what kind of flavor you're going to get from the bean. So one of them is, what are the genetics of this particular region, this particular farm? And for the most part, uh, cacao genetics are all mixed up. They're, it, every cacao pot is a mutt. It's a mixture, a combination of some um, different types of genetics. So is that from pollination and stuff like that? That's ex- it's exactly right. It's from pollination. So the midges, which pollinate these these oh, trees, midges, huh? Yeah, they they move the the genetics around. So <laughs> what you've got is you. Well, we the approach we take is look. We're, we want to get beans from as small a geographic area as possible because that that limits the genetic diversity and therefore you can rely on a, at least a certain amount of consistency of flavor. Mm-hmm. So we'll go down to a place, we'll see what kind of genetics they have, and then we'll taste the beans fresh out of the pod, which is pretty awesome. It's a, it's a fresh fruit. So you cut it down, it's got this juicy pulp, it's uh, citrusy, tangy, um, I mean, some, they're all different. Some taste a little like passion fruit, some taste like mango. Really? Um, super refreshing on a, on a hot day. Um, but you can taste those beans, you get a sense of flavor. And then while you're down there, you can taste the fermented beans, the dried beans. Um, all of that gives you an indication of what you're going to get. And pretty quickly, you can figure out, are there deficiencies? Are, are there defects in these beans? There are certain things that pop out really quickly if people don't know what they're doing with the post-harvest process. Like what um, kinds of things? Like bitterness? Well, I, I try to avoid the the word bitterness, because people associate bitterness with chocolate. I know that. Or dark chocolate. Yeah. When, when, when My really trainer that... won't do anything but uh, milk chocolate. I can't okay. convince her I've tried everything, you know. Well, well, this is and this is one of the challenges we have as craft chocolate makers, is, is, is changing perception of what chocolate is. So the bitterness you get from a mass-market chocolate bar has nothing to do with the actual chocolate itself. You know, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of stuff they're adding to it, and it's the way they're roasting. And so I've had people who say, oh, I hate dark chocolate. It's too bitter. And they've tasted our bars, which are as high as 77% cacao. And they're like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I love this. So some of the things you can, you can detect when you're down there, um, one that jumps out, which is a, a big problem a lot of times, is astringency. Okay. So you get that. I mean, it's a plant. So you know, you've got this this astringent kind of like um, if you eat bite into a unripe banana, you get that drying sensation. Mm-hmm. So that's the astringent um, perception, and that can crop up in because of a number of things. And so, and that seems to be a pretty common problem. So you've got to work on the on the fermentation and drying. You know, the, the harvesting, the fermentation, the drying to make sure that doesn't become a problem. Um, you know these people pretty well, though, that supply you, right? Very well. I mean, that's one of the things that we that is very important to us, is that we go to origin for every single one of our beans. You know, we want to know exactly where it's coming from. We want to know the people who are farming it, 
who are doing the post-harvest processing because all of that is really important from a flavor standpoint. You also want to make sure that they have the capacity to do what they're doing on a consistent basis. And we also want to make sure that the farming practices, you know, are, are ethical or sustainable, the labor practices, you know, all that's important to know. You have a hard job. <laughs> yeah, you just said you were in um, the Dominican Republic and also uh, Colombia. Um, I, I thought you had some interesting remarks about the poor Dominican Republic. A, a really good friend of ours is, is married to a woman from the Dominican Republic. So I'm sort of sensitized to the plight of, of that poor country now with all this stuff with people dying. You say it's exaggeration by the media, right? Well, I think that <clears throat> any time those things happen, that's what, what – media picks up on because it's something that's sensational and people will will be attracted to to reading and you know you can look at uh, any place if you look at new york city and the, you know, the number of deaths <laughs> there right. and you know uh you had mentioned though yeah, they were all drinking it's like well that's what people do <laughs> when they go to the Dominican. <laughs> so you know, I've, I've traveled extensively, and any country you go to, you know, it, there are certain dangers. But as long as you're you're smart and you're careful, then uh, you know you'll be you're very likely going to be fine. How can you cover all? You're so intensely involved with the origins of these beings, and how can you travel that much? I mean, how many you know miles do you cover in a given season? Well, we we also have two young children, so we we limit our international travel um, just because of the time it takes. And Monica and I like to go together, especially when we're going to a new origin. So this year it was uh, ten days in Colombia because it's it, time consuming getting from place to place. And the first time that we're going to an origin, you know, we like to check out several different producers. Okay. You know, you know, we'll get samples before we go. So for Columbia, we, you know, we probably had seven or eight different samples. We ended up visiting you know, three different farms, and um, it takes time. Yeah. Are they happy to see you? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, very, <laughs> they're very happy because at the end of the day, we're potentially going to be buying their, their cacao. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's, there's a, a great sort of sense of we're in this together. You know, they're uh-huh. attempting to do something that is very difficult, um, something that is pretty new, and they're learning, and we're doing the same thing. So, I mean, it's very difficult to do, and it's very new. And so we're all kind of learning together how, what's the best way to, to work together that's going to be in the best interest of everybody. So, you know, I mean, at what stage do you actually possess product? Sorry, ask that one more time. What? Oh, at what stage of the process do you actually possess the product that you've purchased? So after we come back from the farms, we, you know, review what we experienced down there. Um, we also will typically wait and get beans that were harvested from the current year. A lot of times the initial samples we get are from previous harvests. And um, based on what we saw down there in terms of meeting with workers, seeing their process, their facility, how we feel about their ability to deliver consistently, 
you know, just the relationship we have with them. And, of course, the, the flavor of the beans is, is paramount. Like all that, we don't, we don't go to the, all those lengths unless we believe that this is a bean that we really can get behind and has this really interesting, unique flavor. Um, and then we'll make a decision. And it's hard sometimes because we'll sometimes find multiple growers, you know, multiple people who are doing great work. And, um, you know, you can only pick one because we're, we're still pretty small. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm just sort of amazed. I've been slowly learning about chocolate over the, the years because of our friend with the chocolate shop. But um, it's, it's, it, it's just mind-boggling how complex it is. I mean, from the point where you end up with a bar of chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's incredible. The whole process from start to finish is very time-consuming. And there's so many factors that influence flavor and, and workability of the, of the chocolate. Um, you know, I had, I had no idea when I first got into this how uh, incredibly complicated and, you know, and, and time-labor-intensive it is. Well, well, you seem to have a good handle on it, yeah, what, Mr. Tom. Do you, do you have um, your website? Do you have a store locator, or can you order online? Yep, we have both. So there's a store locator on the website, and the very first thing that comes up when you search is going to be our Boston Public Market store, and then it'll list um, all the stores that are closest to uh, whatever zip code you put in. Um, and you can order all the bars online, and it's... Um, Free shipping with orders over forty dollars, and um, and we have all kinds of bundles there of different uh, different bars put together that uh, that complement each other. And it's called G O O D N O W F A R M S plural dot com. Correct. Yes. yes. And uh, well, you know, I love talking to you about this chocolate. Of course, I love eating it too, which is yeah, I'm gonna, interesting because I don't. I'm really... going to hang up and let you talk for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Anyhow, Tom, congratulations on your Sophies. and uh, we could talk on about some of the different new products you have too. Um, think, think think about what you're going to talk to us about next year. Yeah, how many next yeah. year? <laughs> All right, I got 364 days to prepare for that. <laughs> right. There you go. Tom, it's really been a pleasure talking to you, and I really couldn't be happier for your success. And please say hello to Monica. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time, guys, and I will talk to you next year. Oh, great, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. So now you know the secret. I think, I think this, the secret is these people are really passionate about what they do, and they think of everything. And that's the result. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. I think maybe that... uh, a passion is something that most chocolatiers have. Uh, we're going to be talking to a third generation a chocolatier, uh, Rene Bollier, and uh, his company is Andres Chocolates, and boy, they're good. And Listen cho- to their story. And his chocolate is Swiss. We were enjoying some fabulous Switzerland 
Influence Chocolate. And we're talking now to Renee Bollier, who is the third generation chocolatier for AndresChocolates.com. Renee, you're in Kansas, and I was curious as to... He's, he's in Missouri. I mean, yeah, you're in Kansas I'm City. I'm in Missouri. Yeah, yes. in Missouri. And you say there are a lot of... Because we, we've interviewed um, chocolatiers from that area, and you don't know why chocolatiers are there either, do you? You know, I, I don't... I can't say why the... I mean, Kansas City itself is a really interesting city when it comes to its food scene. Uh, over the last 20 years, uh, it's changed dramatically. People really are embracing being from Kansas City. Um, they they really tout the fact that they're from the Midwest, and they're not looking, you know, 20 years ago and, and beyond. I think a lot of chefs, when they made a name for themselves, their goal was to get to one of the major cities, to get to the New York or L.A. or San Francisco market. Um, but anymore, we're seeing a lot of really high-quality chefs who um, are just embracing the fact that they're from the Midwest and they're in the Midwest. There were, right. There was a couple that had a restaurant in the in the land, in the, not the landmark center, the one where they make all the greeting yeah, cards. The, the one with the, um, yeah, the, the one where I had the strange co- right. the martini. What That's did it have? I don't know. It had something funny in it. I don't know. I don't remember. It was on the top of the building. Oh, it was something. It was called the something restaurant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I, was, I don't know if that's... Yeah, go ahead. It was, it was the top restaurant in the city for a long time. Oh, is this the American? That's, that's, uh, that's the, the American. American Crown Center. Yes, the American. Uh, it's actually where my sister got uh, had her wedding reception, but it's an absolutely beautiful venue, and it really was uh, a great restaurant. Um, unfortunately, they just uh, they didn't see enough traffic, I assume, because... Um, and now it's just used for for private events, but it oh, really? was. Yeah. Well, um, I remember the now that came. I ordered a, a, a straight up martini, vodka martini, and it came with a pickled Brussels sprout. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> why not? I guess that was not? very strange. Why not? Right. <laughs> so, but anyhow, so let's get back to your company. Uh, we already said it's Switzerland style chocolate, although you're going to have to tell us what that is. But why don't you start by telling us your family history, because you're third generation of this chocolate-making family. I am, I am, yeah. I mean, so in the early 1950s, my grandfather, who was a master pastry chef in Switzerland, he really was... um, figuring out that he wanted a business of his own. He really wanted to do something that um, was under his ownership. And uh, for those of us who are lucky enough to have traveled in Switzerland, uh, it is a beautiful country, but it's also a very expensive country. And it is. He really yeah. did not have the means to do it in Switzerland. So he started looking at other areas all over the world. And um, he... Uh, looked at a few different cities within the the U.S. Uh, his brother was working for a watch company in Kansas City and um, told my grandfather that Kansas City was a growing city, that it was a great city, and that the market was wide open, that there was no luxury uh, chocolate shops within the Kansas City area. So in 1955, um, my grandfather and grandmother and my father, who was five years old, um, 
immigrated to Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And six months after they arrived, they opened their first freestanding uh, Andres uh, at the same location we're at today. Oh, really? Uh, obviously, I'm sorry? Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? It is. So obviously a much smaller location. Um, but, yeah, it was the very first Andres. And what was shocking to my grandparents was there was a reason there was no luxury chocolates in Kansas City, and that was because there was no market. People did not get it. They, uh, they really, uh, my grandparents had to work extremely hard to educate the Kansas City public about what European-style or Swiss-style chocolates and pastries were all about. Um, they also, you know, their original concept was strictly pastries and chocolates or pedophores and chocolates. Um, when that wasn't bringing enough traffic goods, um, they, two years after they opened, they opened their first little uh, tea room or cafe where they served lunch. Um, oh. And all those things were just hoping to get people in and hoping that when they came in, they'd also buy the chocolates and pastries. Um, obviously, since we're, I'm talking to you today, that, that obviously worked, yeah. uh, luckily for me. Uh, but, yeah, so they ran, I mean, they ran the store until 1985. My grandfather passed away, um, and that is when my father took the reins along with my mother. And um, they have been involved in the business and still are very involved in the business today. Um, I trained in Switzerland as a pastry chef just like my father did, and obviously my grandfather, um, and then came back in 2002 um, with uh, uh, my wife, and we came into the business in 2002, and I took over as president in 2010, and um, yeah, I just, I mean, I've worked in this business since I was five years old, When I mean, that's when my father finally brought me in for the first time, because I would beg him <laughs> to let me come in and help. Um, I think that first day, because we start very early in the morning, we start usually between 4 and 5 in the morning, I think that first day I made it about an hour, and then I went and fell asleep under his desk. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I've always, I mean, this is what is so great about um, the business I get to be a part of, is that it is a ton of work, but it is so much fun. I really uh, love what I do. I love creating i love making things and um, i love the family atmosphere that andres has always been about we've always wanted our um our staff to feel like they were part of our family and um yeah it's it's a really fun business now do you you still have a storefront we do we do we have two store we have two retail locations in kansas city we actually used to have five different locations across the u.s so we had a Location in Denver, Colorado, St. Louis, Missouri, Menlo Park, California, and then we had two locations in Houston, Texas. Um, Those were all franchises. My grandfather really, um, in well, in the 1960s and 70s, there was a tremendous amount of Swiss uh, pastry chefs immigrating to the U.S. My grandfather had a very uh, well-respected name in Switzerland. He was really, um, he was well-known. He was an amazing pastry chef and an amazingly nice man. And um, a lot of those pastry chefs, because of his reputation, started out in Kansas City working with the Andres group before they went off and did something else. The ones that really showed a lot of promise 
um, he, my grandfather, gave the opportunity to them to open their own Andres, so their own franchise. Uh, the idea would be that we, or was, that we created all the chocolates here in Kansas City and would ship them to them, and then they would produce all their pastries and torts, and if they had a tea room, their lunches themselves. Um, which was which which was great. I mean, it grew the Andres brand, um, but at the end of the day, it was not sustainable. And the fact that when they went to when those franchise owners or Swiss pastry chefs went to retire, um, it was not realistic to find uh, another person who could buy into what they created and have. I mean, have the finance. Yes, is in place to buy it, and then the expertise and experience it takes to run it. Yeah, and um, so, unfortunately, as they retired, the business, I'm sorry? It wasn't the product, it was the business model was wrong. Exactly. So as those franchise owners retired, um, we had to make some decisions, and basically we decided that um, it was, we didn't, we wanted to make sure that the brand always stayed traditionally Swiss, and so we didn't want to sell it to an investor who just was hoping to make some money from it or, you know, uh, someone who didn't have any real training in the Swiss style. Now, tell me what the Swiss style means. I mean, I always think of, of Swiss style as being milk chocolate. Well, the Swiss are very famous for milk chocolate because they created it. So Daniel Peter um, was in the, I think it was 18... 80 or somewhere in there. He was a, a Swiss candle maker who ended up getting put out of business by the invention of the kerosene lamp. Uh, his father-in-law was a very famous um, chocolatier or chocolate maker in oh. Switzerland uh, with the last name of Kaye, which is still a brand that you see all oh, over Switzerland. Yeah, you don't see it sure. in the U.S. And then, um, and then his neighbor... Um, was Henry Nestle. Um, oh, funny. So We've heard of Henry him. Nestle had just created the first, um, what I think he claimed, called his baby formula, but basically was powdered milk. And so Daniel Peter took that powdered milk and his father-in-law's dark chocolate and created the first successful milk chocolate. And um, Oh, no kidding. And okay. So You're filled with all kinds of interesting information. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, so uh, so I, I and then I mean the Swiss, um, and part of the reason the Swiss milk chocolate. I mean they were the inventors of it, but then the Swiss uh, did something that many other chocolate makers throughout the world were not doing, and they uh, would conch their chocolate for a very long time. So when you conch chocolate, you're basically kind of once it's refined and the ingredients are are all mixed together, you're basically just working it back and forth. Um, and they would conch for up to 72 hours. And in that conching process, for one, you're releasing a lot of the volatiles, a lot of the um, the vinegars and acids that are naturally in the cocoa. Uh -huh. Those start to evaporate. Um, but then you also, uh, in that, you, you're creating friction by doing that, so you're creating heat. So especially in the milks, but even the darks, if you really look for it, but in the milk chocolate, you can really, because there's more sugar, um, Swiss milks tend to be very caramely. And um, they have a really distinct caramel flavor, and a lot of that's due to the very long conching process. Um, and that's one of the reasons that uh, Swiss milk chocolate is so distinct and so uh, appreciated, because it is it does have this beautiful, luscious caramel flavor. 
Um, and yeah, and we still, I mean, we import all our chocolate uh, from Switzerland. We actually have a, a proprietary blend that's created by uh, a really unique, uh, interesting, uh, relatively small chocolate maker in Switzerland um, that creates the chocolate for us, but it's to our, it's with our specific specifications. Well, you make a lot of, of traditional chocolates, like I'm thinking of the uh, the little discs and the um, the mint leaves and so forth. But I'm in love with the chocolate covered nuts. <laughs> you know, the chocolate covered almonds are our number one bestseller. They're uh, wonderful. Just, well, thank you very much. Yeah, you know. Uh, we take a lot of pride in everything we do, but um, we really, I mean, one of the, I always tell people the thing, the reason I think that we've seen success and had longevity is, one, we try to stay very traditionally Swiss. We don't follow, you know, trends. I, a good cup, cupcake is wonderful, but we don't make cupcakes. We don't make donuts. All those things are great, but they're not Swiss. They're not traditional. So we really try to stay traditionally Swiss. And then we really focus on the minor details, the little things that people might not realize um, but make just a massive difference in um, the way things taste, the texture, whatever it may be. So with our chocolate almonds, we roast the almonds really dark brown, so that really brings out the flavor. Yeah, there's something that's the dark roasting, okay. Yeah, and then... uh, and then we also caramelize the, each individual almond while they're roasting in our copper kettles. We add just a little bit of sugar to the copper kettle, and uh, that creates this very fine uh, caramel or sh- caramelized sugar shell around each almond, which gives it flavor. Oh, which no wonder I love it. <laughs> yeah, and then it also gives it texture. So when you bite into the almond, it has Crunches. this beautiful crunchiness yeah. to it, which... Um, is one of the reasons, and so we, yeah, we just brought our chocolate-covered almonds to the New York Summer Fancy Food Show, and um, I love seeing people when they try them, because they're like, wow, these are different, these are good, and I just, it really, I mean, it's one of the reasons I love the the business and the industry I'm in, because it's fun to to create something that, that wows people and makes them smile. Now, did, did you did you get a sofa, or... Uh, we did not get a sofa. Oh, we should have gone. I know. Tell her, yes. Yeah, and now you're rubbing it remember. in. I don't remember who got it in chocolate. Yeah, they, I mean. Oh, you know uh, who got they were it. Very Good now. Good now got it. Yep, exactly. They exactly. swept the dark chocolate category is what they did. Yep, yeah. they did. You they know. did. We Next year, them. though, we're actually Yeah, well, we're submitting something. Them, and we're interviewing them again coming up, too. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but next year, what are you going to do? Well, next year we have two different products that we're introducing. Uh, that I'm real. Both of them are, ex- I think, exceptional. Um, we actually sampled them out this year, but we didn't. We we don't have them packaged. But they're an 80% single origin dark chocolate almond. So a chocolate from the cocoa beans are from Venezuela. So these beautiful cocoa beans that have very little acidity to them, just beautiful cocoa notes. So we're able to create this high cocoa content chocolate uh, that doesn't have a lot of sugar but isn't overly um, astringent when you eat it. it does, it's, there's very little bitterness. And, um, yeah, I did get some of those. I thought we got some of those, too. A we did send packet. some yeah. of those. Yes, I we did. Them. So those are yet to be released in oh, stores. They, are, okay. they, they were really uh, good. <laughs> yeah, and we and so the, that's one thing. And then we're also introducing uh, a new product. It's um, it's 
called chocolate covered lacquerly. Uh, Lacquerly is a very traditional um, cookie, and actually in Switzerland, different cities have different um, recipes or ways of making lacquerly. Basel, where my um, grandmother and my father were born, uh, makes Basel lacquerly, which is um, this uh, spiced honey uh, cookie. It's it's kind of chewy. It's got caramel, or it's got um, candied orange peel and lemon peel, oh, wow. and almonds in it. Uh, this beautiful, I mean, just absolutely delicious, uh, um, chewy, spice cookie. Uh, and then we uh, are covering them in dark and milk chocolate. And, uh, again, this is a product that's yet to be released. Um, but it is, what's interesting about the Lacquerly is, and, and we will definitely submit it to the Sophies, is that is a really unique, unusual product. It's something that... Uh, very, very few, if any, people are really making those um, in the U.S., and um, they are absolutely delicious. Yeah. When people try them, they're like, wow, these are great, and they're low-fat. I mean, actually, the only... Uh, low-fat chocolate out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, chocolate, the chocolate changes it a little bit, but the cookie itself has, I mean, the only <laughs> fat is the... The, what's in the almond. Now, yeah, you cover them in chocolate. But I, I saw dark chocolate is health food, isn't it? Now, one, one thing we need, we need to do before we sign off, and that's to give people an idea of where they can get information about where to get this gorgeous stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, we have our two locations, our retail locations in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, Kansas City, Kansas, but then we also have uh, our website, so www.andreschocolates.com. Dot com uh, is where we our online shop is, and we ship all over the U.S. Um, we also have uh, retail locations throughout the U.S. that we are looking to partner with or are partnering with. Um, you know, this is part of the reason why we're participating in the in the fancy food show is to sure. to partner with other retailers and and hopefully have our products um, yeah. available in other cities throughout yeah, we, the U.S. We, you should check into, we have a really good um, uh, chocolate store in, in this area in Pittsburgh called Bon Ami. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, you'll, find, you'll find them on the internet. She is sure. the just, best chocolate just, in the world. Yes, just, she's chill. Just, and just, send, just, just send the owner a note saying Ann and Peter sent you. <laughs> and, and, I will. And I I'm, will. And I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure she'll buy some. In the meantime, we're so we're so glad. Oh yeah, I love love finding you. That um, a little bit, a little bit of Switzerland found its way to Missouri. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, yep. H- hello to Missouri for us. And, th- and thank you for the great story, Renee. Yeah, so no, much. thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. And now, rounding out this program, we're going to reach for something not only sweet but cool in the form of Jude's ice cream and frozen desserts. Well, we we have a study in unusual names coming up next. Uh, we're talking to Chow Mesker um, about his family's business, 
which is Jude's ice cream and desserts. Now, I do know that Jude's is named after your mother, Chow. No, we, we don't. We don't know where John Lennon fits in. <laughs> <laughs> there must there must be an influence in there somewhere. Yeah, and and uh, Alex is your brother, and um, at, at some point we'll talk to him again. Uh, at some point, and then um, what did Georgina Fugel do? Georgina Fugel. So Georgina is. So we, when we were kind of, we were very, we were very flattered to be approached by these publishers um, to write an ice cream book, and I guess we sort of thought. Um, ice cream on its own is, I don't know, would you really go and buy a book for, for just ice cream? How many people just make ice cream? We, we just thought we wanted to do something bigger that was sort of more reflective of the family business that we are. And so we wanted to do something that had ice cream, sorbets, sundaes, you know, really simple recipes you could do with your kids, bakes, um, ice cream, desserts, all these sorts of things. And, so as soon as we expanded out of ice cream, we thought that we had to work with Georgina, who is amazing food writer and stylist in the UK. Okay. And she, we've been working with her for years, and she writes all sort of all sorts of recipes. She's, she's actually done a number of books, but her baking is exceptional. So we kind of brought her on board to help us out, really, with the baking aspect of stuff. And a lot of the time, translating our ideas, some of which we've only done in our dairy on a sort of commercial scale, down into the kitchen. Oh, yeah, that's um, a problem, yeah. Yeah, so, so Georgina was, I mean, she, we've worked with her so much, we sort of slightly consider her to be part of the team anyway. Well, it's a um, wonderful book, and it's officially called Jude's Ice Cream and Desserts, subtitled Scoops, Bakes, Shakes, and Sauces. And all of those things are in here. Uh, also, cones, I love that in particular. Um, mm. How about the celebration cake? <laughs> I, yeah. my, my big question is basically, how would you ever eat that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. On the days when we were shooting the photos, um, we ate a lot of stuff. I, yeah, we wanted we wanted to go... I mean, we take what we do very seriously in that we want to do everything to the very highest standards and our best abilities. But also, we know that ice cream is all about fun, and it's all about entertainment, and it's all about bringing people together. You have ice cream at moments where generally you're relaxing with people or celebrating, and and so... You, you mentioned that celebration cake that's just got this sort of outrageous photo with a sparkler and ice cream cones upside down. And we kind of tried to take that approach throughout the whole book. Let's just, let's just really entertain and bring joy and delight to people um, and really just go for it in terms of creativity. Um, so that's what we tried to do. Uh, who, who, is the, who are those guys in London who make jelly molds? Oh, yeah, they're funny. Oh yeah, they're amazing. You know those guys. You know guys them. Bumpus, Bumpus and Par. Yeah, that's that's right. they're brilliant. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. And and um, my brother actually, this is a funny story. So my parents were were friends of theirs when we were growing up. So my brother got a Bumpus and Par jelly cake for his wedding cake, uh-huh. which was pretty cool. Yeah. And now let, let's begin at the beginning. Let's let's begin at the beginning. He's telling a story. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Go finish your story, and then we'll get the back. No, 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 that was it. That was it. Oh, that's we, it. Had, okay. we just had an amazing jelly cake. <laughs> yeah, well, my brother's we, we've seen them in, in person, actually, these um, the Jell-O things, because um, we've covered the, the World's 50 Best Awards for years, and they used mm-hmm. to always be in London, and at one of them, uh, that's what they had. They had a St. Paul's, right? Yes. I think it was a St. Paul's. Yeah, yeah. A St. Paul's made out, of, made out of jelly. Yes. A sort of London skyline. Yeah. But, but, anyhow, this, but this, this whole story has a beginning. Right. Go ahead. Which is really yeah. intriguing. Can you tell Hello, us about Chad, it? Chad. Ciao. Yeah, so, Ciao. Why are so you named Chow, by the way? So, it's actually... <laughs> I was born in Singapore, and I had Singaporean... Um, Armor or au pair um, out there, and she used to sing a song, an eighties pop song to me ah. about someone called Chow. So I'm I'm oh. named after an eighties Singaporean pop song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, we're supposed to have been in in, in a Singapore right now. Yeah, we should be there right now. We should be there for the world's fifty best restaurants. That's where they were this year. <laughs> But but the yeah. uh, the fares were so incredibly high. We're, we're saving we're saving our money so we can fly to England and get some ice cream. Yeah right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so, okay. Uh, so shall I shall I tell you how, yes. how it all started? Yeah, the, yes, yeah. The, fir- the first paragraph is just so wild. Sorry. So, so I said the, f- the first paragraph of your book is so wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so basically, my dad was he was actually working in the city in finance. And he, he, he kind of said, I, I want to start an ice cream company. And it, it was out of the blue, as I was explaining <laughs> to you guys earlier. It was out of the blue. And we were all kind of like, this is a bit crazy. Um, interestingly, his best friend, who is now a key member of our kind of advisory board, he pinned him, my dad, against a wall and said, look, you've lost your mind. Don't do it. What are you thinking of? Um, but he... He, he'd always wanted to, to uh, do something with his own hands, and, and we lived on this old dairy farm. And he, actually, if he were talking to you, he'd say he thought that ice cream was the most sexy option in, in kind of dairy and food in terms of the fun, the flavor, the interest. So he, he just went for it. And um, it, well, just, just a caveat here. I may give you a lot of contradictory sentences here because our, our whole company, it, it seems to be like a whole load of contradictions all thrown in together. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just sort of show you how. So it's from the very beginning, um, he thought just a small hobby, I'll supply some local restaurants in, you know, in our area of Hampshire. But then at the same time, you know, the UK ice cream market is totally dominated by these big multinational companies, lots of which you will know, like haagen Ben & Jerry's, and then a company called Wolves um, over in the UK. And at the same time as thinking, I'm going to start my new hobby, he was also like, There's a, there is an opportunity and a need for a really great British ice cream company to, you know, fly the flag for Britain with, you know, what is now a great food culture that we have over here? Oh yeah. Um, on on the on the shelves of you know the, the supermarkets, the retailers nationally. So it all started with um, 
in a in a, a melting pot of contradictions, <laughs> and and out of this he decided to name it after my mum, who is Jude, and they they started working literally together um, in the small barn at home mixing stuff. What literally the first tubs were walked across the field to our local village pub, um, and then quite quickly my brother realised uh, that. He was also working, actually, in London. He realized that we had a great product. And it was the time in the UK where, where it was the early noughties, so 2002, when I think people were beginning to move away from big brands who they trusted to more local. People were more interested in the provenance of the product. Um, people knew that we could make great quality ice cream here in smaller companies rather than having to go to the big multinationals. And we kind of got into the restaurants at just that time where craft and artisan were beginning to become really sought after um, sort of things in your food and the provenance. So so that's how it got going. And, and really the company grew off the back of supplying loads of these great chefs in the UK, lots of which you, well, I don't know if you've heard of them in the States, you know, your Jamie Oliver's, Gordon Ramsay, Marco Pierre White, Raymond Blanc, those kinds of people. Um, and then after the restaurants, then some of the retailers, they came to us and said, okay, we'd, we'd like to try your ice cream. And again, the move, the shift was being made with the public towards eating more locally, um, smaller nice. brands. And so we started that. And yeah, and now, now we're in, in retailers nationally. Now, I'm, I'm looking at this picture of you and your brother, and which one are you? Are you in the blue shirt? Or uh, I, I am, he's wearing glasses. I'm okay. not wearing glasses. You're the other one. I'm the other one. Okay. Okay. The one without the spectacles. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, you... And that's, that's actually just behind that picture is my parents' kitchen, which is... Um, where we, it's kind of where we meet as a board, where we shot lots of the, the recipe book um, and where a lot of the kind of planning and growth of, of Jude's has happened. Well, I mean, I, the story is interesting. And, and um, I, I said to you that I, I wish I had the product. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the photos, the food styling, and, and the creativity of these recipes is astonishing, really. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. I'm actually a little embarrassed that there are only two names on the front of the book because, you know, we had such an amazing team working on this book and, you know, to make it look as, as delicious and, well, as I said, just entertaining and fun. It, t- it took a lot of people. Right. Um, this, mm. this on the page after your photograph with the figs and the... What is that? It's the chocolate sauce. Yeah. What is that? Which, Amazing. Which recipe no, is that? That's the stacked ice cream cheesecake. That's what I thought. It looks absolutely yeah. divine. Um, yeah. Now, you, you actually set us up as though maybe we could make these things because you have general tips. But, I mm. mean, I can't even picture making ice cream without an ice cream machine. An ice cream maker. Yeah. And you say you can. Yeah, he has, yeah, a, well, he has instructions about how you do that. Yeah. Well, the, I had, actually, I was at 
a really amazing restaurant down in Cornwall. Which one? Um, uh, it's, oh, I have to think about the name. Something Farmhouse. Um, not, Nathan, prob- not Nathan Outlaw? No, it's not. It's, okay. it's a guy called Tom who uh, lives near me. <laughs> don't don't, don't worry about it. We can, uh, we'll edit that out anyhow. So we'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I, was at, I was at this amazing restaurant in Cornwall. Um, oh, let me, I'll try and remember the name because it's so good. And um, if you guys haven't been there, hold on, you, you, you can edit all of this out. I'm just Googling it. Uh, hold on, Pit, Pit Q is his restaurant in London, and it's uh, Info. Sorry, do you mind me just looking at it? No, okay. no, no, not at all. Um, because it is worth, uh, hold on, Tom, Pitt, Q, Tom Adams, uh, and what is, Coombs Head Farm. Okay. Right, you can ask me, you can ask me again and I'll say Coombs Head Farm. It's, it's really incredible. Coombs Head. Have Have you been there? No, you're saying Coombs Head? Like C O O M B S, C O O M B E S, head, farm. Okay. Okay, we'll try it. And um, yeah, now now we're we're pretty well acquainted with these chefs. Um, you, 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 yeah. You'll find a photograph of us with Jamie Oliver on our website. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we've interviewed most of them as well. Um, yeah. But there is a certain chefy quality. Of um, you know, first of all, the insistence on top quality ingredients. Uh, yeah, secondly, yeah. the unusual flavor profiles, and even the yeah. presentations. Um, yeah. You you don't. I mean, you have this thing. There are icons that you use. Tips, yeah. top tips, vegan, and no churn. Yeah. To help through. So, I mean, do most people, do you get feedback that most people are actually making these wonderful treats? Um, so, well, the first thing to say is the book is so new out that we, uh, we haven't, we haven't, uh, I don't know that many people have, um, uh, sent in their feedback yet. The book, the book was only out, I think, last week or so. Okay. So, um, so too, too early to, to give feedback. Okay. Um, I'd like to know what I should try because I mean they're, they're all looking so gorgeous. What are some yeah, of your so, favorites? So the I was the thing I was going to say is that with the the no churn ice creams, and you know a lot of people will think I don't have an ice cream maker. Um, so I went to this amazing restaurant called Coombs Head Farm in Cornwall, and. They serve the most exquisite ice cream, and I just thought—I really thought—how have you done that? Given that you know it's a small kitchen, and they basically said they'd taken—they'd got a whole load of really delicious frozen berries, um, combined it with custard, just at room temperature, just chucked them all in together, and just blitzed them as hard as they could. And I think that for me was a revelation that actually you don't need 
fancy equipment to make ice cream. You can do it at home. And we tried to come up with lots of different innovative ways um, to make ice cream. Sometimes it's, it's taking these raw ingredients, blitzing them, and then you eat them straight away in the moment. Um, or So if you, the thing about sugar is that it obviously depresses the freezing point. So there are a few recipes they, that um, they're quite high in sugar, but that means that they're very soft serve. And they're the kind of cheats recipes um, things yeah, like you use that milk term, yeah, yeah, the, the malted um, malted milk chocolate one. There's a, an amazing creme fraiche one. They use things like icing sugar, condensed milk. So they're they're like really intense, full of flavour. Um, you're not going to eat a whole uh, whole pint of them, but if you want to make something at home that tastes good, that you can actually scoop. Um, and serve it with something else. Those are uh, those sort of cheats ones are really good. And now, um, yeah, uh, all this. Every time we interview somebody, I mean, we got another um, ice cream making book about the same time we got yours. By the way, um, oh, really? from an American <laughs> company. Yeah, but I mean, the, all these other experts talk about. Um, really technical things having to do with the size of the ice crystals and the the air whipped in. and You're saying not. You could just smush the stuff together and freeze it. Well, it depends what your expectation is and what the kind of purpose is. So, like, my day job is making ice cream that will go out to restaurants um or be in the shelves in supermarkets. And there, we're very, very technical. We run lots of spreadsheets, um, balancing all the recipes, all the different components, the sugar levels, the solids, the solids levels. Um, and there, you know, the, the speed of freezing and everything, the size of the ice crystals. So ice cream making can be very, very technical. But yeah, our approach to this, yeah, our, our approach to this book, though, is that that's, that's not how people tend to approach home cooking. So, you know, you can be a bit more haphazard. You can throw in um, a bit more or a bit less of certain ingredients. You can use fresh ingredients in your garden. If ice crystals are a bit bigger or a bit smaller, you know, I don't think it really matters. I think, you know, at its heart, ice cream making is about, in a home environment, is about having fun together. It's a bit about creating a treat um, it's it's almost certain that with the ingredients you use it's going to taste amazing whatever mm -hmm. um, and and so the the approach we've taken in this book is not not to go super technical but to offer fun different ways of making ice cream I mean an, an example that I did with my daughter this weekend um, uh, this is an example at the other end of the spectrum is we made ice cream together and we took some bananas and we mashed them up and then we put them in a mold and we put them in the freezer and then about two hours later we had ice cream together <laughs> banana ice cream and and I think for us you know we, we yeah we just want to sort of democratize ice cream it doesn't have to be technical it's all about fun. You know, for us as a company, we're a family company. We, you know, we're involved in our community. We give lots of our profits to charity. It's, 
what we're doing in our company is way bigger than ice cream. It's about bringing people together, bringing joy, and and trying to remove, actually, I think that's really important, trying to remove the barriers to entry to making ice cream at home. You know, if you make it really, really simple, someone will try it, and then maybe next time they'll try a slightly more complex recipe that might take a bit longer and be a bit more of a labor of love. So we've, we've kind of got everything in the book from mashing up a banana and freezing it through to the, you know, <laughs> some pretty complex celebration cakes. Oh yeah, that elderberry. What is? It's, it's, it's interesting. You you have one recipe in here which I'm not, which I wasn't surprised to find, but it it seems in a way to be inspirational, and that's the good old Eaton mess. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Eaton mess sounds like one of your recipes. Yeah, and that's yeah. because it Eaton is, I guess. Um, and I think it, I'm just trying to remind myself. I think that's the recipe with the kind of the quick cheat ice cream where you just mash up some some right. berries with uh, with vanilla custard. And, you know, as I said, that creates amazing ice cream, but, you know, it's a really quick, easy way to do it. Um, yeah, we've, also, we've got lots of classics, like, um, I don't know if sticky toffee pudding is a, a yeah, thing that's, that's yeah, done yeah. over, yeah. over I think in America. I think but stiffy, stiffy, sticky toffee pudding is over here, isn't it? It's sort of southern, I think, isn't it? Uh, I, I think of it as English. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that we probably have people because we have a lot of English people in this country. I'm looking at this. We have a, a, a friend who who has a, a sweets catering company, and they do uh. all these kind of funny stations at, at uh. formal events. And, and I'm looking here. You have this black and blue freak shake. And yeah. she has something like that called a manic milkshake, and people yeah. go nuts over it. I mean, I, I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. It's so messy. <laughs> yeah, but it looks and it, amazing. Yeah, it looks amazing, and you know, I, to be honest, we don't mind if no one follows the recipe. But if that, if the image inspires people to, you know, just get together and do something fun, combining crazy ingredients, then. You know, I think we feel strongly in the kind of world that's dominated by sort of people just on their phones the whole time. If, oh, please, if we can just get, get people get people cooking or having fun, putting stuff together, you know, you're you're always it's always quality time in the kitchen, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so. Well, no, I don't yeah, know how you like that photo. I don't know how you're going to do this, but uh, my birthday is coming up, July twelfth. And I want okay. I want the elderflower celebration cake, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Peter, you've, you've heard what uh, Anne would like for her birthday. You I can see. Yeah, the, well, there's a nice there's an ice cream shop that's like five doors down the street from us. Yeah. Maybe you take him a picture. Yeah, maybe take him. Yeah, take him a picture and see yeah. if he can make one. And he's he's a, yeah. another one. He's a he was a, a he was a, a chef executive chef for a very important restaurant. And he and his wife just one day upped and decided that they couldn't find really good ice cream, so they were going to make it. He now has five yeah. five scoop shops. <laughs> yeah. So, if you, so yeah. if, you, if you want to be introduced to Millie's homemade ice cream, yeah. <laughs> just, down, just down the road from us so that you can branch yeah. out into the U.S. market, just just let, let us know and we'll put you in touch. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you've got so many great ice cream companies the, the, over the, in the U.S. The, the, the one we really like is Humphrey Slocum. Oh, that's my favorite. You know Humphrey mm. Slocum in San Francisco? Yeah, in San Francisco, yeah. We we went there, my uh, wife and I, we okay, went there. So they're mad. They're really totally mad people, and they're wonderful. So, so you know how they got the name, yeah. right? Uh, no, no, I don't remember that. It was it was named after named after two of the players in a in an English comedy series called Are You Being Served? Okay. <laughs> so Mr. Humphrey was Mr. Humphrey was the captain, and Slocum I think was the lady in charge of the Brazier department. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is uh, this was a, a delight to talk to you about it. I. I really appreciate the attitude, um, the the communal aspect of it, uh, your community involvement, um, your idea of family and fun, and also you're, you're really astute combination of flavors. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And if you, and if you're if you're around in the last few days of 2019. We'll probably be passing by Winchester on the way on the way on the oh, way yeah. from Cornwall to Heathrow. Yeah, do oh, yeah, do pop by. Well, we, if if, Why not? if we if we do that if we do that, we'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, please do. And thank you so much for 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 bringing some good 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 humour into our show. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. It's been a real pleasure. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Great. <laughs> Bye. 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 Okay, that's that's it for another week. We hope you'll join us again same time, same place next week. And in the in the meantime, don't eat so many calories and don't eat so much chocolate. And what do we say? Bye bye. <laughs>